You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning, 10 o'clock gathering. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving with your family and with your friends. I'm hoping also that the tryptophan that was in your turkey, which produces those holiday naps, does not kick in in the next 30 minutes. I, I love Thanksgiving so much. As, as God's people, it's just fitting. It is right for us to give thanks to God, and not just on the last Thursday of November, but our lives are just this constant overflowing of gratitude and thanksgiving for, for all that God is and all that he has done for us. So let's continue today to kind of push forward in this thought of, of Thanksgiving, that our thoughts today, may they be pushed forward in all that God has done. And let's go to a chapter together in the Bible that just, just this exalts this life of, of thanksgiving, exalts this life of, of, of gratitude. Let's go to Psalm 103 together. So your copy of God's Word, let's go to Psalm 103. A lot of worship songs written from this psalm. Uh, once we get there, you'll probably recognize many of the phrases in it. Book of Psalms is in the, uh, in the Old Testament, somewhere right, right in the middle of your Bible, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, if you can find Psalm 103 with me today. As you turn there, let me just let you know that Psalm 103 is a very unique chapter because it's David talking to his own soul. It is David really speaking to himself. Uh, Studies say that we speak to ourselves at a rate of about 200 words a minute. So 200 words a minute. If you were to extrapolate that along the hours of our waking days, the waking hours of our day, that would be about 190,000 words we speak to ourselves during a 24-hour period, almost 200,000. Now, studies also say that we speak about 20,000 words out loud. So that's the average for American, that we speak out loud 20,000 words. Now, I know a few of you, you probably get that done by lunchtime, but about 20,000 words that, that are spoken out. And so when you think about it, the words that we say to ourselves, we, we say those about 10 times the amount of the words that we speak out loud. So it's really important, this, this, this self-talk, if you will, I know that's kind of a, a, a cultural buzzword today, but we see this scripturally as well, that David is speaking to himself. He is informing his heart. He is instructing his own soul. Something else interesting about Psalm 103, it's just pure praise. And there's this one riveting focus of all of Psalm 103, and it's Yahweh. In fact, the name of God, Yahweh. You see that in your Bible as the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's mentioned 11 times in the chapter, chapter 103. A reminder of, of the name of Yahweh, it means that, that he's the unspeakable name. He has the unspeakable name. He, he's the great I am. He is the I am God. He is the eternal one. So what David is doing here is he is considering this magnificent reality of this God's salvation, of this God's goodness toward him. And when I say that this psalm is pure praise, I mean there's no mention of enemies. There's no mention of foes. There's no mention of threats. There are no requests in this psalm. There's no complaints in this psalm. There's no petitions in this psalm. It's just this undiluted worship to God. So there's no dark clouds on the horizon. Uh, There's no words of disappointment here. Uh, There's no lyrics of sadness. It's just this joyous, thankful, overflowing praise that's rising up from the heart of one who has been fully redeemed by God, who's been purchased by his full salvation. Now, in my opinion, there is no other chapter in the Bible that has this type of outburst of praise in all of Scripture. So let's dig in together. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. Again, David speaking to his heart. David instructing his soul. Psalm 103, 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, 
and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I mean, David is awestruck right here of of the goodness of God, of all the blessings of God. Now, often in the book of Psalms, we are told the circumstances in which David would write that psalm after battle, before battle, after sin, in a place of fear, in a place of repentance. But here we don't have any kind of circumstances in which David is writing this song, but it's not difficult at all to imagine David just kind of stopping, looking at his life, reviewing his life, counting all the blessings of God toward him, and just being overwhelmed with all that God has done, all that God has given to him. He realizes how good God has been how undeserving he has been of all these blessings. So nothing external was moving David. It was his own soul's consideration of the goodness of God. And I can see David, can't you? Full of passion, singing this song, writing this song out, singing this song to God, worshiping at 100%, singing with conviction. I mean, Psalm 103 is this let loose song before the Lord. And many of y'all might remember from Old Testament study that when, when David sang... When David lifted his hands, when he worshiped before the Lord, the scripture actually calls it undignified. Like he would embarrass his family in the way that he worshiped. David would not fit in very well with the American church today. He came to worship God with all of his heart. He came to the presence of God with 100% passion. And he would have probably gotten some strange glances from people in America today. But he sang with this deep desire to let God and anyone else who could hear him know how much he desired God to receive all the praise and the absolute glory. David could not be silent. Let me just say, we might want to consider that ourselves when we gather to worship in a gathering on a Sunday morning. Verse 2, chapter 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So this is a command right here to his soul. We can say it's a command to our soul as well to note every benefit that comes from God. Every benefit. To catalog every grace, every mercy, every act of God, every provision, every protection, every kindness, every expression of love from God, every providence of God. In fact, you note taker can write this down next to verse 2. You can count your burdens or you can count your blessings. And the one you choose to count will firmly shape your life. It's a choice that all of us in this house have every single day. You can just go down your long list of complaints, count all those burdens in life, or you can consider what David is doing, instructing his soul to consider all the blessings of God. Let me just say, you have a choice today. You can be a burden counter or a blessing counter. And who you choose to be, what choice you make there determines a whole lot of who you are. Just think about the people you love to be around. Do you love to be around burden counters or blessing counters? Who have you been shaped by the most spiritually? Who has discipled you? Who has mentored you spiritually? Who is your example in the faith? I can almost promise you that every one of us, our example in the faith are those women and those men who count their blessings more than they count their burdens. But it's your choice. To count burdens this week or to count the blessings of the Lord. And this is what David is saying to himself. I'm going to consider every benefit of God, every grace of God, every providence of God. Then we see five benefits listed right here. Verses three through five. Let me read this to you. Here's the first of the benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life From the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like. 
the eagles. Let's look at those five benefits this morning. First one we see here in verse 30. He forgives all of our sins. Operative word there, all. Every single sin, the most private sins in your life, the most public sins in your life, the most hideous sins, the most tragic sins, the most memorable ones, and those one million sins that we cannot even remember today, he forgives all of our iniquities. That is a stunning statement. And the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 43, he not only forgives us, he remembers our sin no more. Don't bring up old sin to God that he's already forgotten. You don't need to remind God about your past. He has taken that sin and he has remembered it no more. It's a benefit for those who love God, who trust God, who put their hope in God. He forgives all of our sins. Here's the second benefit. He heals all of our diseases. Now remember, David is speaking to his soul. It's really important to understand that, that context here. He's speaking to his soul. Now let me, let me go on record to say that I fully believe God can heal any physical disease. I affirm that God can heal any physical disease. But do you know what's greater than God temporarily healing COVID? Or temporarily healing cancer or, or a stroke or a physical sickness? It's when God permanently heals our spiritual soul of the disease of sin. Why is that better? Because that benefit lasts for eternity. God heals all of our diseases. It's a benefit of putting our hope in God. Here's the third benefit. He pulls us out of meaninglessness. That's what it means in verse 4. He redeems your life from the pit. In other words, think about your, your past chapters. I would imagine in this house, a lot of us, we can look at the past chapters of our life and, and think sometimes our chapters were just in the pit. But he keeps our lives from going to waste. He even uses those wasted chapters in the pit. All of our failures in the past, he can redeem those things for his fame. Verse 4, he crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. This is a picture of a coronation, uh, of someone putting a, a crown on one who has been blessed or who has been honored. And here, it is God who is putting a crown on his people. It is God putting a crown on his daughters and on his sons. And he, he crowns us here with steadfast love. It's a word that's used over and over and over again in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word is, is hesed. Except it saith a lot more spit if you're actually from, from Israel. It has this deep guttural sound to it. And hesed means that this committed love. This covenant love. So God, look, look at this benefit from God to his people. He is putting a crown on us with his steadfast love. With his committed love toward us. His covenant love toward us. It's the kind of love that cannot be broken. It's the kind of love that's expressed as God keeps his promises to his people even when we do not keep our promises to him. He is faithful even when we are faithless. He makes a covenant with those who put their trust in him and he, this God, will never break his covenant. He even gives us a sign by crowning us with his hesed, his steadfast love, with his mercy. Here's the fifth benefit. We see it in verse five. His goodness will always Satisfy. He satisfies us with good. Some of your translations say he satisf satisfies us with good things. He, he's giving us his goodness all of our days. Now, for those who are over the age of, let me just randomly throw out a number that sounds kind of old to me, 40. So if you're over the age of 40, this is a good pa passage for us because the context here is age. The context here is even in old age. So those of y'all who are over the age of 40, or if that offends you and you are 40, over the age of 42, whatever that might be for you, he satisfies those who are older. His goodness gives us revival in our old age. 
Those over 40, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say amen here in a second, okay? But if you think 40 is way too young, you don't have to say amen at all. So we can say 50, we can say 80. I've seen a couple of 80-something-year-olds in here today. Let's just say 40. So let me just say that to you one more time. This is a great opportunity for you to respond. God's goodness is so good here that even in our old age, his goodness gives us revival. It is the goodness of God, old people, that strengthens us. And we said amen. Glad you had it in you. David now moves to what God accomplished for Israel. It's a reminder of what God has, has done. Look at Psalm 103, pick up at verse six. The Lord works righteousness. The Lord works justice for all who are oppressed. This God made known his ways to Moses, that this God had his acts known to the people of Israel. Verse eight, the Lord is merciful. The Lord is gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast Love. Verse 8, by the way, is the most repeated verse in all the Bible. 27 times that verse is mentioned, Old and New Testament, because it concisely captures the character of God. What is David doing here, especially in verse 6, especially in verse 7? He's pointing back to the faithfulness of God. He's pointing back to these things that God has done in their past. He's pointing back to to the goodness of God who worked for the nation of Israel. Look what that says in verse six. He worked his righteousness. He worked his justice. He is referring back to when Israel was in captivity there in Egypt. God was working the entire time, working his righteousness, working justice. Verse seven, he was making known his ways to Moses. He was making known his acts to all the people of Israel. God was working in the nation in all of those years, listen, past. Past grace is evidence of future grace. So here's David reminding his own soul, but also reminding his people of how good God has been in the past. And you know what, friends? Sometimes, brothers and sisters in this room, sometimes we have to remember how God has been so good to us in the days past remind us in our present that he'll continue to be good. His past grace is just a reminder, it's evidence of his future grace, the grace that will continue to come to our lives. In other words, if God was faithful then, then David is showing us that God will be faithful now. Christian, the same grace that saved you is the same grace that keeps you, and it's the same grace that will lead you home one day. Past grace is always evidence of future grace. Psalm 103, verse 9. He will not always chide. This goes back to verse eight, that he's slow to anger. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love. There's that word again, hesed, toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west. I'm sure you've heard this a thousand times. I want to make it a thousand and one. Why did God not say right here, north and south? the east and west because you can start at any point on the globe and move north but once you reach the pinnacle the top of the earth the north pole you start traveling south once you start traveling west you always travel west once you travel east you always travel east but if you start traveling south eventually you get to the south pole and then you start coming up north on the other side of the globe because north and south they do meet east and west do not 
so here we see from scripture that our sin is taken so far away from us that they will never meet again. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Let me just say, New Testament Christians, those five verses we just read, verses 9 through 13, are strengthened and fortified, and then praise the Lord, are made permanent in Christ Jesus. This is the benefit of the gospel right here. Our sins can be forgiven. How is that? Because Jesus lived a life that, where he did not sin, and we have lived a life where we have sinned, and we deserve the death that Jesus took on our behalf. All the wrath of God that was sent toward us was absorbed by Christ himself, and what is left for us? Grace. What's left for us, verse 13, compassion. Uh, this is why we can see here that he does not deal with our sin according to, does not deal with us according to our sin. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. Why is that? Because the payment of our sin was placed on his son, Jesus. Verse 11, how high are the heavens from the earth? Can't fathom it. Can't even understand that. That's how great God's love is for us in Christ Jesus. Verse, verse 12, how far is the east from the west when they do not meet? We can't even measure this. That's how far. That's how complete his forgiveness is of our sins for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Highland family, let me just say something. If this does not stir your soul toward gratitude, then you don't have a very high view at all of the cross. This should stir us that we were guilty in our sin and yet God sent his son. If this does not stir us toward thanksgiving, we don't have a very high view of the compassion of God toward us as his people because, because his love for us is without measurement. His forgiveness of our sin is without limit. Do we need his grace? Do we need his compassion? Do we need this hesed, this steadfast love? Well, yes, because Psalm 103 Verse 14, 15, and 16 says, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes, passes over it, and it is gone. And his place knows it no more. For those of you who are easily offended, I want to put your fingers in your ears for a second. We're grass. We are unsteady flowers. We're dust. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, you're dusty. Just, just tell the person next to you they're dusty real quick. You're dusty. You can even say you're so dusty if you want to. Oh, you, you're really dusty. So dusty. Some of y'all enjoyed saying that too many times to people around you. But look at the commitment of God toward dusty people. Psalm 103, verse 17. But. Remember, our lives were just passing, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness. Look how it continues to the children and to the children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. We're reminded right here, verse, verse 14, 15, and 16, that we're weak, that we see here in 17 and 18, that the strength of the love of God. Nancy Guthrie is a great Bible teacher. She's also the co-author of Grief Shared. Here's what she says. You see on the, on the screen behind me this quote, I am not strong. 
However, I am tethered to one who is strong. I'm not holding on to hope in terms of positive positive perspective about the future or an innate sense of optimism, but rather holding on to the living person of Jesus Christ. I am grabbing hold of the promises of God, his purposes, and his provision, and refusing to let go. Here's a lady that understands she's just the dust, but she's holding on to the steadfast love of God. So as soon as David reminds himself here in 14, 15, and 16 of his, of his frailty, it forces him to turn his attention to the everlasting nature of God, the everlasting love of God that God has for him, that love that will last for everlasting to everlasting. It will last for eternity. What does this mean for us? I mean, what does this passage mean for us today? What does this passage written 2,000 plus years ago, 2,700 years ago, what does it mean for our lives today? Here it is. God will not, because of Jesus, remove his love from his people. I don't care how ugly you feel like your past chapters are or how faithless or disobedient you've been this semester. If you belong to him, you belong to his love. If you belong to him, you belong in his covenant. And because of Christ, the great sealer of the greatest covenant ever, God will not remove his love from his people. Why is that important? Why is that important to know? To let that truth drill down deep into your heart because here's the reason. We live so often by our feelings. What we feel about a person, what we feel about ourselves, what we feel about a certain situation, what we feel about what's happening right now. We're so impacted by our feelings that our feelings begin to drive what we believe to be true instead of what we know to be true to drive our feelings. This is one of those truths right there. God will not, because of Christ, remove his love from his people. And sometimes we just feel like, well, God, where, where are you? Or we look at our own selves, our own rebellion, We said, God, there's no way you could really love me. But here's the power of Christ in us. Here's the inner working of the grace of Christ in us. We don't have to be prisoners to what we feel. We can be family members of what we know. We can choose to remember the goodness of the Lord, which causes David here to, to praise him for who he is. For this covenant, God will not remove his covenant love from his covenant people. And I say, verse 19 is the pinnacle of the mountain of Psalm 103. Look at verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. I mean, this, this, is, this is the highlight of a phenomenal chapter, Psalm 103. God sits here, look at verse 19. He sits on this universal throne and his kingdom will never end. His throne is, look at this word, established. It means it's certain, it's firm, it's unshaking, it's installed, it's not moving, it's not reactive to the things of this earth. It does not move with the poles of politics or the poles of culture. It does not sway with the pulses of nation, nor does this throne of God quiver at all the armies of the earth. It is set, it is established. Look at verse 19 again. And his kingdom rules over all. His kingdom rules over all the presidents and dictators, and Supreme Court justices. 
His kingdom rules over preachers and, and popes and over the demons and all the strategies of hell itself. His kingdom rules over storms and winds and over arrogant atheists and cold-hearted church attenders, over all of our fears and worries and insecurities, over hell and heaven itself. His kingdom is established and rules over all. And that causes David to repeat this chorus of praise. You see that Psalm 103 ends the same way that Psalm 103 begins. He repeats this chorus of praise beginning there in the heavens. And can I ask you, Highland family, to stand with me for us to read aloud these last three verses. And let's read them out loud together with passion. You will see it on the screen behind me. So we're reading together with the same words. Let's aloud from our hearts. Let our souls be instructed today by these words. Psalm 103 beginning in verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his host, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Father. Let us not forget all that you have done for us. We could name benefit after benefit, grace after grace, mercy after mercy. God, we want to be blessing counters, not burden counters. God, if we had 10,000 years, we would still not be able to, to list all of your benefits toward us in Christ Jesus. So help us to remember these benefits by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, help us to choose to remember you and all of your goodness, even when our feelings tell us something different. Help us to live by what we know to be true. You will not remove your love from us as your people. And God, these remembrances, may they compel our hearts to worship you, to bless your name forever. Bless the Lord, O our souls, and all that is within us. We bless his holy name.